Now, this is a great Sunday. I have several reasons why, but I'm only going to list probably one or four. This is one of my favorite Sundays because whenever a Sunday follows a holiday, you get to have an instant small chat starter when you go get your donut. How was your Thanksgiving? Good. Yours? Yeah, mine too. Turkey? Yeah, turkey. Your turkey good? Yeah, mine's super good. All right. Did you host? No. In-laws? You host? No. Sister-in-law? Cool. And then you kind of can go your different ways. Or you can take the conversation deeper because we know that there wasn't just Thanksgiving. There was also Black Friday. I thought some of you might say, think about Jesus more on Saturday, but you didn't. You said Black Friday, so I'm tracking with you. You go deeper, the conversation takes a turn, and you say, how'd your Black Friday go? You wrestle anybody? You say, no. Shopped online, but I got a great deal. Really proud of it. They say, nice. They say, did you wrestle anybody? You say, yes. One little kid tried to grab the last baby Yoda, but I took him out. Then you say, JK, there is no baby Yoda. What's going on with the world? Why didn't they make those toys earlier? You start talking Mandalorian, new best friend, and that is why today could be a good Sunday. It's also a good Sunday because this is the first Sunday, like Marco said, of the church season of Advent. Advent means arrival or coming. And for us specifically, it means that we are celebrating the coming of the Lord Jesus, who was the Word made flesh all those years ago, and we are looking in hope looking forward in hope to his second coming. And I love Advent because there's all these wonderful stories we get to read, right? We get to read about how Mary is visited by the angel. We get to visit Joseph and his dream about the baby. We get John the Baptist and and his parents having the baby in the old age. We get the baby leaping in the womb. You get the story of the angels and the shepherds, the wise men, and of course, the baby being born in the manger. And one particular story that I was thinking about as we got down our Christmas decorations, my father made us this little um, manger, and you get to fill it with baby Jesus and everybody else, but you also get to put the wise men out of it. So we brought down the wise men. The wise men are the one you remember who sought the King Jesus. They follow the star to know where to go, to know what path to take. The star led them to Jesus. And for us today, we also seek Jesus, right, in Advent. Not to find him, but we seek Jesus to know more of him, to be like him to live this life that he has called us to. And our star that guides us now is the word. And we look to the word to guide us in what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so when it comes to following Jesus, if I had to break it down, when I sit and meet, bro, we're wearing the same color. That's amazing. I'm going to keep going though. Um, I'd have to say that when I'm meeting with people and I had to break it down, reading the word and praying are probably the two biggest recommendations I ultimately make to people who want to say, how can I follow Jesus more? There's this phrase that always turns in my head since I learned it. It's read as you live, live as you read. Pray as you live, live as you pray. And when we meet and I tell them about that, folks tend to ask for clarification on prayer. They ask, how should I pray? What can I use as a guide for prayer? How do you pray? They give me questions like that. And so we sit and we work through prayer. But with the word, no one really has ever asked me, what do you mean read the Bible? They just say, okay, got it. I'm going to read the Bible more. I can do that. We'll do. Now, they may ask me, what should I read? But they rarely ask me, how do we read? And it got me thinking about my only regret on Black Friday. I saw this pin that had a picture of a really sad cowboy. And it said, everyone is always yee-haw, but never ha-yee. And I've thought about that this weekend. Not that I relate to it, but I do like cowboys, except for when they're from Dallas. Can I get the Amen. And not that it connects in any way, shape, or form to the sermon, except for the word how, which was ha, but I wanted to tell you so that you could be contemplating this too now. Anyways, I thought today's text in Isaiah would be a great opportunity to, together, 
look at one way that we can read Scripture as we pick up this discipline of getting into the Word or as we continue this discipline of looking to the coming of the King this Advent season by being in His Word. So I want to dive into Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 5, and Quinn's going to throw them up on the screen. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Remember, Isaiah is a prophet. He's one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. He's got a really long book. It's 66 chapters. You could be in a life group with somebody. It could take you a whole year. It's an awesome time. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temples will be established at the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So I want to take a look at how we can approach that scripture to dig in. Today. Again, do we have to approach scripture like this every single time? Absolutely not. There are plenty of times I'm simply opening up the Bible and just reading, whether that's to meditate on a specific verse, to take a a, a section or a phrase and use it as my mantra for that day, or if I'm just reading to understand the story. This that we're going to talk about today is just one way to come to the word of the Lord so that you can kind of help yourself of how do I read this word of God. So first, we need to remember this. All scripture always points to Jesus. Christ is at the center of scripture. There is no text in either of the Testaments, old or new, that exists without some connection to Jesus. For example, in Genesis, we get that promise, right? Even though that the man and the woman have sinned, God is still going to come and save them, and he's going to send someone. In Exodus, we see that even though the, um, the people are in slavery, God delivers them, much like Christ delivers us from our sins. In Leviticus, we see all of those laws, all of those rules, and yet we can't keep them, but God himself in Jesus Christ can I think even more in the New Testament when Jesus said to the Pharisees in John chapter 5, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me. When Paul says that in Jesus, all the fullness of God lives in bodily form. He means that all the attributes, all the activities of God, his spirit, his word, his wisdom, his glory are disclosed in Jesus. Jesus is the center of Scripture. He is the one that when we open it, we must see each and every time. And if you haven't been doing this when you come to the Word, this is an essential way of approaching Scripture. To come to Scripture and think right away, what does this show me about Jesus? So let's practice with our Isaiah text today. So here it is. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. We can read that and be immediately drawn to the cross, right? How the victory was won for us on the cross on the mountain. How there the Lord himself is greater than anything else in all of creation. We can try other hills or other religions. We can try other paths of life, but they will always be found lacking. Also, we can see how people from all over will stream. They will come to the mountain of the Lord. Maybe we think about how at Pentecost everyone was coming as the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles. Maybe we think about even today as Christians all over the world still gather at the cross on the mountain. They're still coming to Jesus to be saved. 
We could keep reading in verse 3. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Again, we begin to center. What does this teach us of Jesus? Well, we remember that God said that he will teach us in his ways so that we may walk in his paths. And Jeremiah, right, will put the law on their hearts. God was not satisfied being separated from us and speaking from afar. And so in Jesus Christ, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God himself taught us, taught us what it means to love one another. And that word of the Lord that comes is not a word of condemnation but was one of salvation, grace, and truth, right? In John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. You continue to verse 17 where it says, God did not send his world, a Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Scripture is drawing us in to Jesus. You jump all the way down to verse 5 and it says, Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the world. We're reminded that Jesus is the light of the world. It's why we light the Advent candles. It's why at your baptism you receive that candle. And we think of how Christ himself expressed to the disciples, Walk with me in the light. Or maybe how even the psalmist cried out, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. For in the word, the promises of God do not falter. We can trust in his truth and his faithfulness. And we are certain that by reading, we truly learn who God is, that he is a God of light, of love, and mercy. And we keep Christ in the center. When we do that, we give him the room to live and breathe and move in us via the word. And maybe as we look at that, we don't discover something new from reading the scripture today but we do recenter ourselves. We anchor ourselves into the text when we connect it to Jesus because the power of the word is in the life that it brings. How in the midst of a season of running around and getting from here to there, taking care of business, in five verses we can stop and remember. Don't ever skip over the power of stopping and remember. That's why we have holidays and festivals and breaks. So we can stop for just a moment and remember whose we are. And in those holidays, right, we're remembering and we tell stories, right? Do you remember when we did this? It draws us right back into prayer. We read and then we offer a quick prayer that says, Lord, you are my salvation. I come to your cross. I come to you. And you don't turn me away. Lord, you embrace me. Lord, you love me. Enable me to walk in your light. Read as you live, live as you read, pray as you live, live as you pray. And speaking of living, it's what our kids were just singing about, right? Hearing these words and putting them into practice, we can look for things in the word to apply to our lives, things to put into practice. Now we got to remember, even though the Bible is inspired by God, meaning God via the Spirit gave the authors what they were to write, they were written at a specific time in history. So sometimes when we read, we see the phrases that we don't regularly use. I think about when we're going over the catechism with the, the use and confirmand. When we get to that meaning of the ninth and tenth commandment, we get to the part where we say, I will not covet thy neighbor's manservant or maidservant, their ox or donkey. Not too many of them have oxes anymore, which is a real shame, but I get it. The dog and the cat, they're a little bit easier to keep in the house. Unless you're old school like my boy. 
Paul Bunyan. Paul Bunyan had an ox. It was named Blue. But anyway, we read something and then we try to understand it. Maybe we try to relate it, try to replace it, try to modernize it. That's the understanding of what was going on at the moment and the history of that text. But the other thing we can do is this thing that Pastor Bob taught us. Now, do you guys remember Pastor Bob? He was about yay high, yoked. He could do that thing with his chest. Oh, gospel, oh, gospel. It was awesome. Anyways, Pastor, Pastor Bob was great at this. He used to call this called a gospel handle. Basically, you take a certain passage, and then you can understand it when you apply that passage with the gospel, and you take something else that is related to it. So this is what this looks like. You find a word or a phrase, and then looking at similar verses, help us understand the word of God practically. I think this applies to us, because look in verse 4. See that part about beating their swords into plowshares? Now, if it were to say lightsabers, we would have been on board here. But not too many of us have swords or plowshares. I do have a pocket knife that doesn't have a point here. But how do we modernize? How do we relate to this? Well, maybe we see the word sword here. We remember from Proverbs that when we talk, the tongue can be used as a sword that thrusts. Maybe we connect that to James talking about controlling the tongue. And suddenly we're thinking about how our mouths of ourselves shouldn't be used to cut something down or to attack or to destroy, but should be used to plant and to build. And we see that following in spears and pruning hooks, right? We think about that word pruning, and we go to John chapter 15 with the vine and the branches. And we remember that we're supposed to say connected to Jesus to bear fruit and not to bear violence. We see the invitation that someone offered back in verse 3, right? The come and let us go and think not much has changed since those days of Isaiah. We still are supposed to invite one to another. Come and see, come and let's go. And then finally, we take this little bit of training right there, that train, they won't train for war anymore, and we combine it with that idea of walking in the light of the Lord. Interesting to think with our little ones that we're taught to walk, how you teach a child how to walk, how we come to God this way in his word, how he holds our hands and he practices walking with us, how he lets us lean on the word so that we can learn to stand. But we do eventually walk. We don't stay crawling forever. We walk in the light. We mature and we grow as Christians, not leaving God behind, but ready to pass on, ready to change swords into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks, and raise our children in the faith and love of Jesus Christ. We walk, we live, we read, we pray. And so just like we do in Advent, this is why we come to the Word. We come to see Jesus. And we gather together to look forward and wait together for His return. So while we wait, no better place to come and wait than right here, where we walk and live in the light of our Lord.